Hi, thanks for joining us for this message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. We pray that you are blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Red Church and its ministries, or if you'd like to support us financially, you can find out more by heading to redchurch.org.au. Uh, We're going to open our Bibles this morning uh, to the book of 1 Samuel. So if you have a physical Bible, um, why don't you open it up there? 1 Samuel, we're going to be looking at chapters 1 and 2. I'm not going to read the whole of 1 Samuel chapters 1 and 2 because it would take quite a long time. Um, But we are going to be sort of looking at the the whole story of Hannah. We're looking at the story of Hannah. Um, and if you are um, unfamiliar with the story of Hannah or you need a little refresher, let me just remind you that Hannah, we discover in 1 Samuel 1, she is the wife of a guy called Elkanah. Um, but because it's the Old Testament, uh, Hannah is not Elkanah's only wife. Uh, he has another wife called Peninnah. And Again, what we discover in 1 Samuel 1 is that Peninnah has lots of children, uh, but Hannah cannot conceive. And Hannah longs for a baby. And Hannah, we discover, is deeply grieving this pain of infertility that she's facing. Not only that, but Elkanah's other wife, Peninnah, is is really cruel to Hannah. She torments her specifically because of her childlessness. And so at this point in their lives, uh, we read that the family are about to make this journey up to Shiloh. They're going to worship. They're going to, to make sacrifices at Shiloh. And in 1 Samuel 1, they have arrived. They've arrived in Shiloh and Hannah is in absolute turmoil. Like the pain, the grief, the uncertainty of her situation has become completely overwhelming. Uh, And if I was to paraphrase what Hannah is confronting in that moment, she is suffering from the pain of unfulfilled longing. She's confronting the reality of this unfulfilled longing in her life. And I wonder if for some of us in the room, we're carrying our own versions of unfulfilled longing. It might be in a room like this that your story is Hannah's story, that the longing that you're facing is for a child and and maybe that hasn't happened at this point and and maybe that's due to infertility or circumstance but maybe Hannah's story is not your story but the unfulfilled longing that you have takes on a different form maybe it's to do with a relationship that you long for or a relationship that you're in maybe it's to do with your calling or your career maybe it's around some area of provision, finance, or or an impossible situation that you're longing for a breakthrough in. Maybe it's an illness or an addiction that you're dealing with, but if you were to boil it down, it's the reality of unfulfilled longing that you are confronting. And the thing is, as human beings, we hate living in the reality of unfulfilled longing. We hate it partly because we live in a culture that tells us to avoid any kind of suffering at all costs. We live in a culture that that tells us to mitigate against any form of suffering in any way that we can. 
We also hate the reality of living in unfulfilled longing because sometimes it's hard to understand why, particularly if we're looking at life through the lens of faith, sometimes it can make us doubt the goodness of God. Sometimes it can make us doubt God's love or His care for us. Maybe it even makes us doubt God's existence. Maybe it can make us feel like we failed somehow. Maybe God's angry with us that He's withholding this good thing that we want. And maybe it's something that we've done or not done. We hate the reality of living in unfulfilled longing mostly because it's really, really hard. It's really hard. My husband, Tim, and I, we've been journeying through this last year a pretty painful situation that's been like a bit of a backdrop to this last season. And in many ways, it's been one of those situations where there have been more questions than answers. Uh, It's been a particular situation that has felt uncomfortable and confusing and pretty brutal at times. And I'm imagining for all of us, there are going to be times where we are confronted head on with the reality of living in what I would describe the tension between the now and the not yet. This is a phrase that we use at Gas Street Uh, It might be a phrase that that you're used to in describing the space that we find ourselves in as followers of Jesus. On the one hand, we know, right, we hold on to the truth that God can and does intervene, which is why we pray. Because we believe in a God who intervenes today, who has the power and the inclination to intervene in situations that we're facing like now, right now. And I've seen God do it. I look at the people in our church, I look at their lives and, and, and there's evidence of God on the move. You know, we, we hear stories regularly of people coming to Gastry uh, and they'll just like weep weep their way through the worship, not because it's terrible, just incidentally, but because they're encountering the reality of the presence of God, the reality of the kingdom of God now, like in the now. God is on the move. I believe that wholeheartedly. The kingdom of God is at work now. People being saved, life being transformed, people getting healed, miraculous breakthroughs happening. But but what about the not yet? What about those not yet moments when we know that we are still waiting for that day when Jesus will return and all will be made new? But until that day comes, we also experience the reality of the not yet. And that desperation for God to intervene, it just doesn't seem to go away. What about then? What about those moments? And I wonder if the thing, the very thing that defines this space between the now and the not yet is the harsh reality of unfulfilled longing. Here's the the good news about Hannah's story. You know, God ultimately answers her prayer. Sorry, spoiler alert. But God ultimately answers her prayer in the way that she wants. 
And that would be an amazing message. Like that's another message for another day that God can answer prayers miraculously like he does for Hannah. But I wonder if today God wants to meet us powerfully and personally by the power of the Holy Spirit in the space between the now and the not yet, in the middle of our unfulfilled longing. And because as we look at Hannah, in the face of the unfulfilled longing that she was confronting, we realize that she has three choices, essentially. She could either go over it, she could go under it, or she could go through it. Has that children's book made its way to Australia? (laughs) We're going on a bear hunt. We're gonna catch a big one. We're not scared. It's a beautiful day, yes, thank you. And so the first option that Hannah has is she could try and go over it. So Hannah could have thought to herself, you know, I am so done. I am done with the pain and the grief. I'm just going to take matters into my own hands. Reference Abraham and Sarah. I am going to go over it. I'm going to go over God. I'm going to try and fix this myself. I'm going to find another way to get there on my own times and on my own time scale. I remember a number of years ago, I had a good friend uh, who, who got engaged to a man that me and this other friend just knew wasn't right for her. And this friend of ours, she, she was and she is like the most beautiful person, but she had this unfulfilled longing for the love and affection of a man. And this, this lo- longing became like the central focus of her life. And so she would often end up dating guys that didn't offer her the dignity and the respect that she should have expected from a partner. And so she had given up waiting and she'd got engaged to this man that, 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 that couldn't and wouldn't bring into the marriage the values and the commitment that were going to be needed. And so I wouldn't necessarily recommend this unless you're absolutely sure. But me and this other friend, we, we did a bold thing and we sat her down and we told her that we thought she shouldn't marry this guy. We told her actually what deep down she already knew, that perhaps things would be okay to begin with, maybe even quite good to begin with. But after a little while, ultimately, there was a very high chance that this guy would let her down in the worst possible way. And that maybe trying to take matters in her, into her own hands was not going to work out well. Praise God, she broke off the engagement and she didn't look back. And here we see with Hannah, she doesn't try to go over it but neither does she go under it. You see, what Hannah is journeying through, it is really hard. The pain, the hurt, the grief, the disappointment, it must have weighed so heavy on Hannah. And she could have easily got stuck 
under the weight of the pain of it. And we can get stuck sometimes under the weight and the pain of confronting unfulfilled longing. And sometimes we can then become slaves to those feelings. Maybe even we begin to carve out an identity through them, out of our pain and our loss. Maybe we start operating in victim mode. We, we get stuck in self-pity. We become resentful or bitter or spiteful even. Maybe we begin to live in jealousy all the time or comparison and it just begins to eat away inside. But Hannah doesn't choose that option. She chooses the third option, which is to go through it. She goes through it. It says in the middle of verse 9, once they had finished eating and drinking at Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Hannah stood up, full stop. If you've got the Bible in front of you, you'll notice there's like a big full stop at the end of that sentence, which seems kind of strange, honestly, like a weird bit of stage direction or something. But actually, what we discover is that this phrase, Hannah stood up, is actually a, a Hebrew idiom. It's a bit like our equivalent of to put your foot down. It doesn't actually mean to put your foot down. It means I'm done. I've had enough. And so when we read Hannah stood up, what we can read into those three words is that this is a decisive moment for Hannah. When Hannah stood up, she's saying, I reject both of those other options. When Hannah stood up, she is refusing to go over it. When Hannah stood up, she's refusing to go under it. When Hannah stood up, she is choosing to go through it. When Hannah stood up, she is choosing surrender. She's choosing surrender. And the first thing that Hannah surrenders is her pain. In verse 10, it says, in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. You see, there's a difference between going under it, getting stuck under it, and bringing our pain to God. She doesn't bury her pain. She doesn't ignore it or squash it or minimize it. She pours out this like raw, honest prayer to God. And you know what? It is so important that we learn how to process our pain. One of the most toxic things to the human being is to let pain remain unprocessed, unexpressed within us. And here we see Hannah pouring it out. There she is at Shiloh at the temple. Eli the priest is there and she is pouring out this prayer to God. We read that she's like weeping. She's wailing bitterly. She allows her suffering to drive her towards God. And it's interesting that Hannah reaches this point of surrender in the context of worship. They've gone to Shiloh to worship and there she is in the context of worship. And it's there that she pours out this honest, raw, painful prayer. You see, worship, worship isn't the place that we, we escape from the reality of our pain. No, it's in worship that we bring the reality of our pain into God's transforming presence. And in verse 12, it tells us that Eli, the priest, thinks that she's drunk. 
That's how expressive and honest her prayer is. And then in verse 15, Hannah says, I'm not drunk. I am pouring out my soul to the Lord. I wonder if for some of us, within the context of prayer, our own prayer lives, as Sammy was just saying, it's, it's about pouring our soul out to God. And the invitation maybe for some of us is to find opportunities and ways to do that, to pour out our soul to the Lord. And so Hannah surrenders her pain, but she also surrenders to the outcome. And I think this is the hardest bit. In verse 11, she prays, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son. Now, Here's the thing, she doesn't hold back asking God for the very thing that she wants, this good thing that she wants, that she's longing for more than anything else at that point in her life. And that's the thing, again, with prayer, God invites us to bring these requests to God, to ask God for these good gifts that he's wanting to bring into our lives. But here's the key. Look what happens in verse 18. It says, then she went away, she ate something, I love that bit, and her face was no longer downcast. Her face was no longer downcast. Something has shifted having prayed that prayer. Her whole countenance has changed. Now, anyone who has studied biology at any level will know that there is no way that Hannah can be pregnant at this point. As far as I'm aware, there's only one immaculate conception in the Bible, and it is not Hannah. And so in the context of worship, Hannah brings to God this like most precious, this most personal request to God. And then... She surrenders to the outcome of what that prayer might be because her face is no longer downcast. There is no way at that point that Hannah could have known how God would respond to her request, how he would have responded to her prayer, that God would ultimately provide her with the son that she is longing for, but she brings it to him. And then she surrenders to whatever the outcome might be. And that is where her peace comes from. That's why the invitation is to go through it. That's why the invitation is to surrender because it's where the peace is. It's where we find the peace that is going to sustain us in this space between the now and the not yet. She prays, she intercedes, she pours out this request and then she receives peace before the outcome. Peace that passes all understanding, peace that passes her current circumstances and it's only after that that she receives the provision. And so do you see the sequence is prayer, peace, and then provision. How often for us, when we're confronted with unfulfilled longing, we bring it to God and we don't fully surrender to whatever the outcome might be because we want the sequence to be prayer, provision, and then I'll have peace. Thank you very much. 
And by surrendering to the outcome, we're not sort of entering into fatalism. Like this isn't resignation. This isn't to lack faith that God can and will and could move and answer the prayer in the way that we want it to. It's, it's about surrendering. It, it's about becoming fully reliant on God, whatever may happen. So when we choose to surrender to the outcome, we're saying to God, God, I know, I know you have the power to answer this prayer in the way that I would like you to. And I know that ultimately there is a day coming when everything's going to be put right. But until that day comes, I'm going to choose to surrender to the outcome of every unfulfilled longing that I have this side of eternity. I choose to trust that you are still at work. You are still at work even when I can't see it. Or as my sister puts it, I surrender to the expectation that every outcome will be wrapped up in a nice, neat little bow. When Hannah brings her heartfelt prayer to God, she adds this, this one important detail. She says, if you give me a son, says, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. And so essentially she's offering God this son as a Nazarite which in reality would mean making a promise to God that, that if he were to give her a son, that she would take her son to live at the temple at a very young age, which is what we know happens. Now, side note, this story clearly isn't like a practical parenting guide. You know, please don't bring your children to the doorstep of this church when you're kind of fed up with them. But by making this, this promise to God that if he, were, if he were to grant her request in the way that she would like him to, she is promising actually to forego the joy of being able to raise her child by her side. She's letting go of all the strings that she has attached to the thing that she's longing for. And that's where the peace is. She's saying, Lord, even if you do answer this prayer in the way that I want you to, I refuse to accept the notion that ultimately the peace that I am looking for, the peace that my soul is longing for will come from anything else other than you. And so we know in the story, Hannah does get pregnant. She gives birth to a son, Samuel. And she does go back to Shiloh and she dedicates Samuel to God, this precious child that she has longed for. And she returns home without her son. And then we read in 1 Samuel 2 verse 1, like the very next thing that Hannah prays is this, my heart rejoices in the Lord. She hands over this longed-for gift and she prays, my heart rejoices in the Lord. The only way, I think, that Hannah could have prayed that prayer at that particular moment is, is if she had known somehow, some way that her pain, her suffering hadn't been wasted, that even though this side of heaven, she would, 
She would never fully understand why things played out the way that they did, why she had to endure so much grief and longing. But it's like she has this personal revelation that ultimately God would prevail, that there was a plan. There's um, a a well-known book some of you may have read called Good to Great by Jim Collins. It's a, a leadership book. And in this book, Jim Collins talks about this thing called the Stockdale Paradox. And Admiral Stockdale spent eight years in a prisoner of war camp during the Vietnam War. And the conditions were horrendous, as as you can imagine, in a prisoner of war camp. He was tortured multiple times. and, And then years after his release, Jim Collins, the author of this book, interviewed Admiral Stockdale. And he asked him you know, the obvious question, how did you, how did you get through it? Like, how did you get through those eight years? And Stockdale said, said this, I never doubted not only that I would get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into the defining event of my life, which in retrospect, I would not trade. Jim Collins then asked him, well, who didn't get out? And Stockdale said, that's easy. It's the, it was the optimists. It was the ones who thought that they'd be out by Christmas and then Easter and then Christmas again. They died of a broken heart. And then he said, this is a very important lesson. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end which we can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. And for us, we live in this paradox. We live in the paradox of the now and the not yet. We cannot afford to stop believing that our prayers work, that God will and does prevail, especially now, especially in these days. But if our faith, if our peace is built on the outcome of everything that we long for here on earth, we're going to end up permanently disappointed. If our faith and our peace is not built on Jesus and Jesus alone, it will not go well for us. Our peace needs to be built on Him and on Him alone, the risen Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, because that's where our hope is. That's where our hope is found. That's the hope that we get to carry into the world, that there is something beyond our current reality, beyond our current longings. And yes, that hope, can and will break into our current reality. But even if it doesn't in the way that we want it to, even if we don't get the nice, neat little bow, there is still hope and we can still have peace because it's in Jesus. It's in Jesus and Him alone. Because of course it was Jesus. Jesus who in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before The night before his crucifixion, he prayed his own prayer like Hannah. He he poured out his prayer to God. He, He cried out in the night, God, if you could take this cup from me, if I could avoid the outcome that I know that is coming, 
But ultimately he prays, God, not my will, but yours be done. And of course, it's, it's Jesus who, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is with us, with us now, today, right in the middle of our unfulfilled longing. It, it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that we, we get to walk alongside God in our pain, through our pain.